Welcome to NBA Talk with Isaac Wolf. I'm your host, Isaac Wolf. There has been some chippiness around the league recently. And obviously the headliner was the Jokic-Morris incident. So during the Heat-Nuggets game, Nikola Jokic was running the fast break. And then Morris, you know, kind of cut him off, bumped into him. You know, kind of extended the forearm. Kind of a cheap shot, you know, to stop the fast break. They ruled it a flagrant two, apparently. I didn't think it was that bad, but Jokic lost it. He went insane, and then you've all seen the play by now. He shoved Morris in the back. Markeith's head snapped back as he fell forward. It was pretty violent, and then obviously that led to a bunch of restraining. There were no more, like, there was no more, you know, fighting after that. But Jimmy was yelling at Jokic. Jimmy Butler was basically challenging him to you know, a fight in the arena tunnels. And then the medics had to bring out a stretcher for Morris because he tried to get up the first time and then went back down. And it just, it just took him a while to, you know, gather himself. He turned out to be okay. No need for a stretcher, but there was, you know, clearly some neck pain with the way he got some almost whiplash, you could call it. Jokic got ejected and suspended one game. And then Morris was ejected from that game as well and fined $50,000. Jokic said, you know, that he felt bad, you know, post-game after he watched it. And then Beef went to Twitter with Markeith and Nikola's brothers. Marcus Morris tweeted, quote, Waited till bro turned his back, shaking my head. Noted. And then the Jokic brothers, Nikola Jokic's two brothers, created, they created a Twitter account <laughs> to respond to Morris. They said, you should leave this the way it is instead of publicly threatening our brother. Your brother made a dirty play first. If you want to make a step further, be sure we will be waiting for you. Now, obviously, there's some broken English there from the Slovenians. I believe they're from Slovenia. And so that's how the Jokic brothers responded. Markeith responded to both of them by basically saying he's never hit a man with his back turned, that he can take it, presented himself as the tough guy in the situation but honestly Marquis started this it's on him obviously it's on Jokic as well if you dish it you got to take it back and Morris got the worst of it but he had to be prepared for that it was a cheap shot on the fast break with a little extra forearm obviously Jokic is in the wrong for the way he responded so I guess really both are at fault here but that was kind of entertaining to watch but there was another incident between Miles Turner and Rudy Gobert in the Pacers Jazz game a couple days ago Turner blocked a Gobert layup attempt. Gobert thought it was a foul. It seems that he maybe intentionally, I, I would say unintentionally, tripped Turner. They both went down, both went to the ground. Then they got up. Then Turner nudged Gobert. Gobert turned around, and that was followed by a chest bump and basically a wrestling match between the two bigs for like four or five seconds before they got broken up. Gobert was fined $35, or excuse me, $35,000 for initiating the incident. Turner fined $25,000 for escalating it. Donovan Mitchell was actually fined more than Turner. He was fined $30,000, and Ingles was fined $20,000. Joe Ingles was as well because they both got involved. Mitchell verbally taunted, and Ingles made contact with an official some uh, inappropriately, I guess is what they said. All four of them were ejected. Gobert, Turner, Ingles, and Mitchell. No Twitter beef with this one, though, so that's good. I just think it's hilarious that the Jokic brothers created, they literally created a Twitter account. 
called i mean if it's at Jokic brothers on twitter they literally created a twitter account to respond to marcus morris that was pretty funny anthony edwards dropped a career high 48 points in a loss to the warriors but i don't want to talk about edwards i want to talk about the warriors because they're 11 and 1 and they are looking like the best team in the league they're back to the warriors of old almost i mean there's still no clay but curry passed ray allen last night for most three-pointers made all time. He is at 3,336 now. And he did it in 585 less games than rated. He had nine. Curry had nine threes last night in a 26-point win against the 8-3 Bulls. Who are now 8-4. Steph may be the leading candidate for MVP right now. KD is right there with him. But Steph is averaging 28-6-6, playing the best all-around ball of his career. And then there's Draymond Green, you know, with, with his average input of 7, 9, and 7, near triple-double. Obviously, his uh, the box score is not where his effect shows up. But his shooting percentage, this is the highest field goal percentage by far he's had in his career in a single season. He's shooting 52% from the field, 36% from three. That's the second highest. The breakout of Jordan Poole has been huge. He's averaging 17.5 points per game, and he's, his shooting efficiency isn't great, 31% from three. But the volume is what's important. He's taking a lot of shots, which is why the points are up at 17. You know, with Clay being out, Poole's kind of starting at the two next to Steph, and this is really helping him blossom into a true scorer. He upped his scoring from 12 last year without Clay to 17 and a half this year. He's basically holding Clay's spot right now, and he's a big reason why the Warriors are having, you know, somewhat of a seamless transition back to dominance. Obviously, they had a few rough or like a rough year two years ago and then barely missed the playoffs last year but Andrew Wiggins 17 points per game also he's you know doing uh damage attacking attacking the basket he's he's more of a slasher and then he has Curry and Poole to kick out to Looney is really just a role player at the five obviously the Warriors could upgrade there but James Wiseman James Wiseman's supposed to come back from his torn meniscus hopefully soon so that would obviously be a big big help they do have a big time bench and this was what i was worried about i didn't think their bench was that good i they were all average players but i didn't think they would contribute to winning as much as they have to start this season obviously they got Iguodala back which is everything for them he's you know his defense his hands specifically has some of the best hands in the game his effort, his IQ, he takes smart shots on offense. He's only averaging 4.3 rebounds, 4 assists. But his role is much bigger than what the box score would show. He's basically Draymond Green coming off the bench. That's what he is, Draymond Green coming off the bench. Gary Payton II? Have you heard of that name before? Obviously, you know his dad. But his defense, his perimeter defense is top tier. I mean, just of course, just like his dad. Through the first 10 games, I, the Warriors have played 12, but this stat is from the first 12, uh, 10 games. He has held opponents to 25% shooting, 28% from three, and 21 turnovers he has forced. Call him, you know, the glove junior, honestly. Peyton has been so, so good on defense. On offense, he creates highlights. He's a high flyer. He's a slasher. He seems to have a... He seems to have a big-time dunk every game that gets on Sports Center or something like that. He's only averaging six points per game, but he's a spark plug off the bench. He always brings the energy, so he doesn't need to average 10-15. 
And this, this is just another G League star turned into an important piece on a contending team. Gary Payton the second is. Nemanja Bjelica, he's a stretch big, shooting 50% on threes this season, which is obviously a big-time number. Otto Porter's a solid piece. He's only averaging like seven a game. But they have Kaminga. They have Toscano Anderson. They have... Moses Moody, Damian Lee. They are they are really, really deep. They are way deeper than I thought they would be. And then when Clay comes back, we have to think of this team as a contender. The offense is so smooth. The ball movement, the shooting and slashing ability, you know, the combination of the shooters and the slashers, I should say. And then the playmaking of Steph and Dre. The defense. The defense is really good as well. They don't have James Wiseman either. We keep talking about Clay. They don't have Clay. They're not they don't get Clay back till December. James Wiseman, the seven foot unicorn, is not playing either. This team will be ridiculously stacked come playoff time. My perception of the Western Conference has completely changed with the way these first, you know, 10, 11, 12 games have gone. The Warriors are 11 and 1. The Lakers are 7 and 6. Everything else is expected. Maybe I didn't expect the Rockets to be 1 and 11. But the the West, the Warriors at 11 and 1, the best record in the league is just it's kind of shocking to me. It is honestly shocking to me. I didn't think they'd be this good. I knew they'd be a playoff team this year, but best team in the league did not see that coming. In the East, Bradley Beal has the Wizards at first in the conference. You didn't see that coming either. They are 8 and 3. Tied with the 9-4 Nets at 1, as, as in first in the conference. Beal is only averaging 23 points per game. He's become more of an all-around player. Five rebounds of five assists per game. Dinwiddie is averaging 15, 5-5. Five, five. He's facilitating so well. And he's running the offense the right way. And I'm not saying Westbrook didn't. Westbrook just has a completely different way of doing things. They're completely different players. You can't compare them. The Lakers pieces are looking really, really solid. Harrell off the bench is back to you know the six man of the year candidate that he was with the Clippers obviously his numbers took a dip with the Lakers but he's averaging 18 and 9 this year he's looking like the Clippers Montrez Harrell that won six man of the year KCP Kadavis Caldwell Pope is averaging eight points a game Kyle Kuzma almost 15 and 9 wasn't comfortable in his with his role in LA it was really undefined for him honestly but he learned how to win and that was honestly the most important thing he knows his role now in Washington, it's to hit open shots. And he's rebounding at a high clip as well. Bringing that championship knowledge to Washington, despite people clowning him, honestly. He was a part of the team. He knows what it takes. The Wizards acquired guys in the offseason who know how to win. They're experienced. They can hit timely shots. Obviously, with they, they got three guys from the Lakers championship team. Well, Harold, I don't think, was on the championship team. But Pope and Kuzma were. And this is taking a load off Bradley Beal late in games. You know, honestly, throughout the game, really. Obviously, if your scoring average is going down from 31 to 23, that's not just, you know, a a late game dip. But Beal's determination to win in Washington is extraordinary because the Wizards were a mess. They were the team that always made it to the playoffs but lost in the first round. And then, you know, maybe they get second round next year, but it didn't make a difference. Him and Wall were a very good duo. They just could never really put it all together. And then, honestly, I thought losing Westbrook was a bad move because, obviously, Westbrook's the most athletic point guard in NBA history. He's so talented. But the team is greatly benefiting from that trade. They they got rid of Westbrook, and they got three guys 
who, as we said earlier, are experienced, can hit timely shots, know how to win, and take the pressure off of Bradley Beal late in games. And now Beal has the Wizards in a place no one thought they would or could be, even if it is just 11 games into the season for them. Their defense is also really good, too. They're the only team in the NBA holding opponents under 30% from three. They are just running people off that line. Wes Unsell Jr. has this team playing very well together. Credit to him and Beal for making this work. All right, it's time for my first rookie ladder of the season where we rank the top four rookies in order, starting with number one. The favorite for rookie of the year, in my opinion, 10, 15 games into the season is Scotty Barnes of the Toronto Raptors. He's first among rookies in points per game, rebounds per game, and field goal percentage. KD complimented him after the Nets beat the Raptors, saying his IQ was rare, especially for his age. And that's extremely true. Barnes is an excellent defender. He's a smart defender. Not only does he have the physical tools, 7'3", wingspan, great hands, but he's also very smart on that end. But his offense, I mean, his defense is great, but his offense has impressed me the most. He's leading rookies in scoring. He only averaged 10.3 a game in college. Now he's shooting 53% from the field. Now, he's not using range. He's getting good, efficient shots inside, close to the rim. He hasn't really extended out to the three-point line yet. But his mid-range is good. It's efficient. He's got the pull-up. He's got the runner. He's got the floater. He finishes well. And obviously, his length helps with that. He's got a couple of highlight dunks already. He's, he's got such long strides when he's going coast-to-coast. Coast, and it just, it just looks like watching a mini Giannis almost with the way he goes from one end to the other in, you know, three, four, maybe five dribbles, a few big steps. You know, he rebounds the ball well. He pushes and he finishes. The offense, the offense of Scotty Barnes has been a pleasant surprise for Toronto. That was the biggest question. Was it, Were his offensive limitations going to override his defensive potential? Because I think he could be a future defensive player of the year. And that has certainly not been the case in terms of his limita- offense limiting his defensive potential. Number two, Evan Mobley of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Number three pick is averaging 15 points, eight rebounds, two and a half assists, 1.3 blocks per game, and shooting 51% from the field. Mobley is seeing an already large role increase now on the Cavs with Colin Sexton tearing his meniscus. The Cavs need more offense, and Mobley can provide that inside and out, mainly inside. But his his field goal percentage could be higher, but he does extend his range a bit. So with the shots he takes, it's acceptable. The defense isn't as eye-popping as it was in college, specifically the rim protection. There are more seven-footers in the NBA, if you didn't know. But many bigs surpass or match Mobley's size, not making him ineffective necessarily, but less effective than he was in college. But again, it's a different level. So Mobley has been about as good as I thought he would be to start. Maybe a little bit better. This is... Just the beginning for him. Him and Allen are a great pair. Cavs have so much size this year. It's incredible. Number three, Chris Duarte of the Indiana Pacers. He's averaging 15 points a game, four rebounds, two assists, 43% from the field, and he's shooting 40% from downtown. This has been the surprise of the draft so far. We knew he was a shooter, but we didn't know he was like, okay, we knew he could score as well. But he's not just a knockdown catch-and-shoot player with the Pacers. He's hitting shots off the dribble. He's 
got the mid-range, he's got the step back, all that. He's earned a starting spot with the Indiana Pacers, and he's got the chance to step up when Karis LeVert went out to start the season, and obviously he has taken advantage of that. Number four, Jalen Green of the Houston Rockets, the number two pick, averaging 14.5 points per game, three rebounds, almost three assists, and obviously his shooting percentages are not great. 35% from the field, 28% from three. Streaky shooting was, you know, kind of expected from a guy who plays like Jalen does. High volume, relatively high difficulty shots as well. He makes some, he forces some. The offensive numbers aren't what the Rockets fans hoped they'd be. You know, obviously we're only an eighth of the way into the season, so there's plenty of time to turn it around. But he's not doing much defensively. Offense is clearly his strength. Right now, it's a bit of a slow start for Jalen, and that's okay. The Rockets season is over anyway. Cade Cunningham, let's talk about him. He's just outside the top four. I would say he's probably five or six. Franz Wagner and Davion Mitchell have an argument for five. But Cade struggled. If you want to talk about struggling shooting, Cade struggled worse than Jalen did. His first three games, in Cade's first three games, he shot seven of 39 from the field. 17.9%. That is worst all time for a player through his first three games. He started 0 for 18 from three, and he had to take a shot from the logo with the shot clock winding down on his 19th attempt to drain his first career three. He's shooting 28% overall, 22% from three. I believe he's played about six, maybe seven games, averaging 12 points, five rebounds, and two assists per game. The numbers aren't great. They really aren't, especially the efficiency We talked about the shooting, but he's averaging 3.4 turnovers a game as well. Every rookie has their bumps. Cade just happened to run into the wall right away. (laughs) Could mean a smoother and stronger second half of the year for him, however. Cade recently went head-to-head against Jalen. Pistons-Rockets was, I believe, this this past Wednesday. It was in Houston, and the Pistons won. 112-104. to Cade dropped 20. With four rebounds, three assists, two steals. He was 4 of 8 from 3, so obviously his shot was a lot better that night Jalen Green had 23 points five rebounds to assist you could argue that either individual had the better performance Jeremy Grant though 35 points the Pistons you know had a better bench performance and that's why Detroit D- Detroit won Kate had more of a supporting cast to help him out both teams are bad this year it's really a development year for them the Pistons are two and eight they might be two and nine now and the Rockets are one and eleven both may compete for the number one pick again, which is extremely valuable this year. Oh my gosh! If I love, I loved last year's draft class, but this year's draft class is almost as good, if not better. I'm gonna have to look a little bit more into it. But Chet Holmgren is looking like the number one prospect, the the seven footer from Gonzaga. Then you got Paolo Bancaro, Banchero from Duke. He's probably number two, and then you got other guys like Jalen Duran, Jaden Hardy. This. This draft class is going to be really, really entertaining. To wrap up today, this day in NBA history, in 1979, Daryl Dawkins shattered the backboard. I believe this was the second time he did that. Chocolate Thunder. That's his nickname. That's probably maybe the best nickname in NBA history, Chocolate Thunder. And then, happy birthday to Metal World Peace. We will be back soon with another podcast, including my first MVP ladder of the season. Stay tuned.